What's your favorite scary movie? podcast where two lgbts talk the horror movie of the week real life crime or events and if the movie is worthy of being an honorary gay film and yes the titles are puns i'm l i'm kate hello everyone so l just like casually picked one of the most like (laughs) i'd say like influential or well-known things to be considered a queer horror classic of all time so no pressure to either. I'm, it's first pressure on myself. Say, <laughs> we are doing 1935's Bride of Frankenstein, directed by gay icon James Whale. That's why. Um, so you chose this because you'd yeah, never yeah. seen it before, right? Have you? You've seen the first one? Did you see the first one before going into this? Yes. yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I have. Okay. So let's get into it because it, it's kind of like a direct sequel to that. Leaves off to the events of that. Or like, it, well, actually, it starts with. Elsa Lanchester, who also plays the bride, as Mary Shelley, being like, ooh, that's not the end of it, um, <laughs> as an excuse for a sequel. Um, <laughs> first of all, have you read the Frankenstein book? Um, if I have, it's been so long I do not remember much of it. I have to reread it again sometime. Okay. Oh, I was just, just curious. I have not. I was curious if we had, like, an, an expert here or anything. <laughs> I've seen, like, all the Universal Monster, like, versions of it and, like, the Francis Ford Coppola version that's apparently supposed to be pretty faithful, hmm. which is funny because it's insane. Um, but I was just curious going in if either of us had read it, um, just in terms for the Frankenstein discussion of it all. Um, so this is a direct se- sequel to James Wells' first Bride of Frankenstein and... It turns out the monster didn't die, and, um, basically it's about this doctor, Dr. Pretorius, wants Dr. Frankenstein to do what he did again, but this time make a bride for him. Um, he doesn't want to do it, so he has to kidnap his new bride in order to do it, all this, and that's the gay (laughs) agenda, is what I'm trying to say. Um, what, so any any just initial thoughts about all of this, Al? Kind of reminded me of 2014 Godzilla and like Godzilla showed up in the last ten minutes and then Rido showed up at the last like five God. minutes. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know mm-hmm. she was gonna mm-hmm. be just so short in it, but like truly the fact that it's such an iconic look, like just to be able to be in that short of time, but like having existed. If someone says Bride mm-hmm. of Frankenstein, even if you haven't seen the movie, you automatically think, oh, the the tall hair with the lightning strike through it. Um, but, like, I yeah. liked where they took the story in that they wanted to have the monster, like, he speaks in this film, even though it's just really kind of, like, words or just single words or short, very short sentences. Um, and he does have a friend for a little bit because the guy who, the hermit, um, that he meets is blind and doesn't see, uh, what he looks like and treats him as just a normal human being and he really likes that and so that's how he begins learning to talk and all of that. Um, but, like, uh, before then the village Mm -hmm. had been, like, terrorizing him and wanting him locked up or, like, trying to be killed, um, 
and Frankenstein, Frankenstein's maid is funny as hell with her shriek, like, shatter glass. With are you talking about, are you talking about Uno, Connor? Yeah. The, the fucking legend, I, it's like a rule, it's my rule, that if she shows up in a movie, it's, you're, she's gonna eat, she's gonna <laughs> slap, she's gonna eat, and she will slap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I showed, cause like, I mainly know her from these horror, she's in a lot of James Whale movies, she's an Invisible Man too, um, but, um. She showed up in, like, I was watching, like, the Errol Flynn Robin Hood, and she showed up, and I was like, oh, yeah, okay! <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're safe. Una O'Connor's here. Ah. Yeah. And that, that scene you were talking about with the Herman, the, it's, it is, it's such a, like, beautiful sequence and very touching scene, but it's unfortunately, like, ruined forever for me because of Young Frankenstein, because it's all I can think of <laughs> in the really part, so I was like, does this happen at this No, that's Young Frankenstein. He doesn't spill soup into the monster's lap in this. That's Young Frankenstein. <laughs> Just shit like that. <laughs> Where it's like, oh no, you're stupid. <laughs> um. Anyways. Oh. <laughs> I could go on about Young Frankenstein anyway. <laughs> the, um, yeah, and like... Not to... Okay, this is the last time I'll talk about Young Frankenstein, but that <laughs> I act like... Because, well, you mentioned also that the monster gets to talk in this, and I, I guess that's more faithful to the book, apparently. But, like, then apparently they just totally, from here on out, in all the universal, like, Frankenstein pictures, they just retcon all of that. No, he doesn't get to talk anymore. <laughs> um, which I think is a shame. Um, like, there's some interesting, like, aspects to some of them later on, but it, I don't know, like, and Karloff obviously can do wordless performances really well but there's so much even more humanity that you get to see out of the little amount of dialogue that he gets and there's and because he gets so few word choices there's such meaning in all of them and that's why it's so iconic stuff like like friend good and shit like that and we belong dead like that's Ah. all become iconic (laughs) from bride of chucky you know we belong dead oh my god god um, and then this also, uh, it's, it's so interesting to me, I wrote, I caught this in the beginning, like, Mary Shelley's talking about, like, the punishment of a mortal man for, like, what he does, but it's, like, in, it, I, this might just be because it's so Hollywood still, and especially the 30s, mm-hmm. but, like, when is when it, or it's, it's not Victor it's Henry in these movies or when is Henry ever punished for like wholehearted when is he ever punished for what he does for his creations in the first one he sure isn't um or I guess he's kind of assumed dead at the beginning yeah at, at the end of that I can't remember yeah he's like assumed but um this brings him right back that leave <laughs> think in the beginning he's dead they're actually like oh no we got him home and he's just fine he's fine um so, and he still just wants nothing to do with what he's created, and it's like, to me at least, it's like, that's why I wanted to ask you about the book and everything, because I'm like, that's your responsibility? <laughs> what you've created? Hello? And like, that's why I think, to bring back Young Frankenstein, I think does the best job about, like, exploring all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, it's like, and it's like, the, the only reason he does this again at least they find, like, a new reasoning for him to doing it, and he's not just like, well, I didn't learn anything, and does it again. Like, this time he's being, like, kind of forced to. Yeah. And it's, like, this... This, like, conniving, fruity man making him do it. Um, oh, I want to talk about... I wrote, like... He has, like... He's like, I've made these creations in little jars and everything, and I'm just like, that's me with my blower bows. <laughs> like... <laughs> 
Like, if I could keep Izzy hands in a jar, I would. <laughs> I think we all would. <laughs> we all just put them in a little jar and <laughs> shake them like a maraca. Oh, my God. Please. I'll, I literally, I, I rotate him in my head like a rotisserie. <laughs> Um, oh, this, this kind of made me think, uh, was this kind of the first of, like, the horror trope of, like, the monster being unkillable? Like, how Michael Myers just, like, yeah, he exploded, but he's back, it's fine. Because, like, he dies at the end of all of these movies, the monster. Like, and then they just, they're like, no, it's fine, it's either... Now he just fell into the water, or like I think in one he like gets frozen, or like no, he's fine, he's fine, just shit like that. Um, it might be. I don't. I wonder if that was the beginning of I that show. I don't think I've seen any kind of movie before that that kind of had that that trope of the unkillable monster. Um, yeah. This was definitely one of the first, if I'm remembering correctly, one of the first like features to have like it's a, like a full score. Oh yeah. Um. It's a big deal for for that reason. I thought I should mention scores are cool, man. Um, <laughs> but so also you mentioned uh, right off the bat, and something I wanted to talk about, especially for this, was that you were surprised at how little the bride is in yes. this. Um, it's like let's unpack that because yes, because the first time I saw this, I think I knew. I don't know if I knew that she only shows up at the end. I, I think I maybe knew, but I. I'm probably going to sound stupid talking about the ending of this because I don't really like it. Yeah. I like, I like this movie. Um, and again, I feel like this is just the Hollywoodification of how things had to go because this is a monster movie and all of the, all of the otherness has to be destroyed Mm -hmm. and the, the heterosexual couple has to be, the ones that live and see the destruction and then just move on with their lives, and that's Henry and Elizabeth in this, even though, like I said, Henry is the cause of fucking all of this. Um, But specifically with the bride who is brought into this world by these men, and literally the second... She's, you know, brought in the same fucking cruel way and also not given the chance that the monster is given, but the second she rejects him immediately and all of a sudden she is worthless then and he decides that she needs to be destroyed with the rest of them and i just i've I've always hated that or just wanted to explore her side of things i wish like you she's such an iconic character from just those seconds and from that look and from elsa and everything and we're doing so many reboots and revisitings of all of these like properties Mm -hmm. And, like, the closest we've gotten to is, like, last year's Horror Nights, was ha- which had this, like, maze that was basically a sequel to this, and it was so fucking cool. Um, oh my god, like, look it up on YouTube, look it up at the Bride of Frankenstein maze. I was, like, obsessed with her, like, I would, like, like, because they also had, like, a, a person playing her when you left the not ride, the maze, in the park. She'd be, like, walking around trying to scare up people, but I would just be like, oh my god, wife. <laughs> wife city. Oh my god. And I could tell she was kind of like, okay. Um, but yeah, let, anything you want to add there? No, like, Yeah, that, like, it did feel like such a short time for her to have such an introduction, like, to be created in the same way um, and to be brought, like, and to be just brought into 
like this life not even just as her own person but for specifically somebody else um yeah and then meant to be a mate for him and then when she rejects that um then she's like there's there's no point i guess to it anymore so the monster just like blows everything up including himself and uh uh praetor praetor um i would like i I would say, like, a sequel to having her escape that fate and just, like, but the other two not. And seeing how she uh, becomes more aware and more uh, humanized would be a cool thing to go mm-hmm. in. Because I feel like that's such an unexplored Wouldn't avenue. It? That's such an unexplored Wouldn't avenue. it fucking know? Wouldn't it? <laughs> ah! I'm just, like, thinking of, I think about her, the Bride of Frankenstein. <laughs> I do. I oh, I so wonder. I'm so glad the dark universe got went to shit. But <laughs> I wonder what Bill Condon's Bride of Frankenstein would have been. Live. I'd love to see what like a female director would do with that kind of concept. I swear something like this got announced a couple years ago and then just got lost in the ether. Yeah. Um. So I remember talking. I've talked about this before. We must have. We never covered this, but I I remember being on a tangent about this. Yeah. Before and then them announcing something, and I was like, oh. I speak that into existence, but it still hasn't happened. Um, yeah. And even the maze I was mentioning, the plot, not, there's no, the, I'm doing air quotes because it's still just a maze, but the plot or setup is that she did survive that explosion <gasps> and pulls out the monster's body from the wreckage and is set to, like, revive him. And I'm like, girl, no, just move on. <laughs> you don't need to, be, but she's in this, like, cool scientist gear and goggles and shit. Oh. I don't know. There was, like, music by Slash or someone. <laughs> Amazing. Anyways. I gotta look that up. But that was... Yeah, please. Oh my god. Yeah, look it up. Um... Anyways, but yeah, I mean, I guess... It bothers me in my 2022 feminist lens and everything, but yeah. I guess that it'll, when you settle it, boggle it down to it, it's still just, like, another tragedy of these tragic creatures we've deep monsters from the get-go yeah. you know like i get it i get it i still just think it's an unexplored avenue for current potential is what i should say i guess yeah definitely maybe someone will take up on anyway. the on those reins and give us the the bride movie we deserve please please get the director of titan please <laughs> please well, it's... get Julia. I can never pronounce her last name, but get Julia. Yeah. What were you? What were you gonna I was say? Gonna say, well, since um, Catherine mm-hmm. Kitsuma, Ka- Kusama's, um, Karen Kusama? Kusama. Oh sorry. God! Since that shit got axed for some fucking reason. Boo! I'd love to see her take on it. Yeah, no, we really needed to instead. She's like Nicholas Holt is Renfield. That's the project we're backing up. <laughs> fucking god. Yeah, I would love that. I would love that for sure. Um, get get her to reunite her with Megan Fox. Let's do Let's this. Do it, please. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Why? Mm, green light that. <laughs> Cut the check. God. So I didn't have any uh, kind of true crime that could possibly uh, happen with Brian's Frankenstein. <laughs> Um, uh-huh. But I do have some real events, some behind-the-scenes stuff to talk about with 
this movie. Cool. So, Whale did not want to do anything with a sequel to Frankenstein because he didn't think it'd be something he was going to be proud of. Um, and he thought that he'd, like, gotten the whole story pretty much wrapped up uh, within it. Um, they were able to find that hook, though, of wanting of the monster wanting a mate, and they were able to find that and pull that out of uh, the book for the narrative. Um, but mm. most of... But he said he didn't know if he was ever going to be really proud of it, but he wanted to make it something that was extremely memorable, and that obviously worked. There was actually a 1999 documentary called She's Alive, Creating the Bride of Frankenstein. Um, Clive Barker explained his view of how Bride of Frankenstein provided James Whale with a playground for his inexhaustible creativity. Uh, he says, when you get into Bride of Frankenstein, you're making it all up. There are no rules. The only rules are the rules of the imagination, and Whale had an extraordinary imagination. Um, he, Among the imaginative additions Whale brought to the mythos of the man-made monster was an all-new villain. Uh, in the context of the previous film, neither Henry Frankenstein nor his creature could function as an antagonist to the sequel's plot. A sinister outside force would be required to provide the impetus for Frankenstein to create the monster's mate, so Septimus Praetorius, the doctor that had uh, Frankenstein's bride-to-be kidnapped. Um, he's portrayed by Ernest Thesiger. Uh, he's the former mentor of Henry Frankenstein, which is how he knows him. Um, he, was he was fired from his position as a professor of natural philosophy uh, in for dabbling in weird science. Uh, he was the man responsible for setting Frankenstein on his quest to find the secret of life. He was unable to duplicate Frankenstein's discoveries, so uh, he ended up the growing, air quotes, of miniature humans, which is that bottle scene that we all see. Mm -hmm. um, he wanted to propose a new world of gods and monsters, and so he befriended uh, Frankenstein's monster and uses him to force Henry to construct the mate as usual. Um and so James Whale populated his sequel with an ensemble of both new and familiar faces. Uh, Colin Clive would return as Frankenstein. Um, he's no longer an ambitious scientist. So he's a man broken by the horrors of the prior film, which I guess is what was supposed to be his punishment. Like he was ashamed of what he had done and what he had become. <laughs> I guess, I guess, I guess. But, you know. Um, I guess. I guess. How do you feel bad? So... <laughs> Uh, May Clark, who had portrayed Henry Frankenstein's fiancée, Elizabeth and Frankenstein, was not available for the sequel. Um, according to Hollywood Horror, from Gothic to Cosmic, Clark had left Universal Studios and suffered a series of nervous breakdowns that necessitated a retreat from acting. Poor woman. So instead, uh, she was replaced with a 17-year-old <laughs> Valerie Hobson. God. So, that was great. That's <laughs> fine. But... Um, so since, uh, yeah, just Hollywood, baby. Since the start, since the start, uh, Whale casted uh, Ernest Thessinger, his theatrical mentor, for the role of Septimus Praetorius. Um, he was originally written for Claude Rains, but uh, he didn't oh want to be part of it, I guess. <laughs> He's uh, like, no! <laughs> we eventually got him into the... The Universal franchise, we got him. That's so funny. iconic. 
Oh, wait, so, he was on Invisible Man. What am I talking about? I'm not going to... Oh, my God. <laughs> Don't... I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> I'm going I'm to stop. My dumbass was thinking of, like, Wolfman and stuff where he comes in as, like, supporting characters. And it's like... <laughs> dog. Okay. <laughs> Uh, much like the monster oh himself, God. The Bride of Frankenstein is much more than just the sum of its parts. James Whale, working within the confines of a genre that's often dismissed or outright maligned, conceived in Bride a story rich in subtext and allegory. Through subtle and at times shockingly overt uses of imagery and dialogue, Whale's film serves as a criticism of organized religion and a parallel to the story of Christ. Uh, there's lots of Christian imagery within the movie. There's crosses abound in the Mason sign in both literal form and subtextual visual cues, such as the monster's capture, like how he's put up, his arms mm. are out and shit like that, um, and tortured by the angry villagers. And throughout the film, uh, Whale paints the monster as both an inversion to and parallel of Christ. The monster is man-made, not God-made, film expert Scott McQueen explains in She's Alive, yet he goes through a Christ-like orbit of misunderstanding and ultimate betrayal. Um, amazingly, Whale was able to get much of this past the sensitive religious subtext of the studio censors. There was <laughs> one scripted sequence in which the monster mistakes a life-size depiction of Christ on the cross in a cemetery for a suffering being like himself, uh, that was cut because it was deemed too blasphemous to film at the time. Yeah, I know. Damn. So, the scene was replaced with the monster angrily topping, toppling the statue of a bishop, an overt attack on installized Religion, the alternate sequels, somehow made the final cut. So. And then we're gonna... I'll skip this section because we're gonna talk more about Because Bride of Frankenstein, as a gay film, we will definitely talk about that. Um, so, although mm -hmm. James Whale was able to get most of his subversive ideas in the film in one form or another, Bride of Frankenstein still faced an uphill battle with the motion picture production code, also known as the Hayes Code. <laughs> Thanks, Will Hayes. Fuck off. Uh, the code functioned as strict guidelines for what could be shown in a publicly exhibited, exhibited motion picture. The film underwent 15 minutes of cuts, dropping its original 90 minutes running time to 75. Uh, the film's prologue, which features the Shelleys and Lord Byron discussing the ironic implications of demure Mary Shelley conceiving the horror of Frankenstein, was trimmed to eliminate all close-ups of Elsa Lancaster's plunging neckline. Uh, other cuts were made to soften scenes of violence and eliminate potentially offensive allusion, allusions to religion. There was also a line that kind of implicated that the three of them were in a polymorous relationship that was also cut. Um, according to The Monster mm -hmm. Show, the film faced even more cuts after its national release when it ran afoul of many local and state censorship boards. Internationally, the film was banned outright in Trinidad, Palestine, and Hungary. Um... And, of course, we have to talk about the bride herself. Uh, from the Phantom of the Opera to the Creature of the Black Lagoon, Universal's original cycle of horror films presents a pantheon of, pantheon of classic monsters. Defining horror for generations, the Universal monsters are as iconic as Santa Claus, Superman, and Mickey Mouse. And among their numbers is only one female creature, and that is the Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, no female character is as recognized or revered in the history of horror, and much like her male counterpart, the bride's popularity is rooted in a unique performance coupled with a revolutionary makeup design by Jack Pierce. Elsa Lancaster's unearthly vocalizations and electrified hairdo are synonymous with horror's golden age as Boris Karloff's flattened skull and lumbering gait, and she actually was inspired by uh, swans that she 
had seen in the park to make those like hissing noises and like she framed her yeah. attitude around that um let her hiss oh yeah she was like all hissing and spitting at him like that's the, the vocalizations that she was allowed to that she was allowed to give and so she made the mm. most of it um so in a testament to the character's appeal she only appears in just one film for three minutes that's like Jesus. insane to me um, in David J. Skull's She's Alive, film historian Bob Madison explained the bride's lasting popularity. Uh, he, his quote was, The makeup for The Bride of Frankenstein is an absolute masterpiece. It's the only iconic female monster to ever come out of the movies. If you were to think of a classic female monster, The Bride of Frankenstein just immediately uh, comes to mind. And her hair was actually held up in that style by a wired, like, horse... Uh, it looks some kind of like a wired horse hair cage. So like that kept her mm. hairstyle like that. Um, that's cr like the, the fact that I just thought of that was crazy. Um, it's, the movie is uh, regarded as the pinnacle of Universal's monster films. Despite James Whale's ambivalence about his work in the horror genre, the film is his masterpiece as regarded by many others. Um, it's one of the handful of sequels, sequels that exceeds its predecessors. So, it's just, like, the fact that it's just so good, but, like, also at the same time, the, the ending, you know, and how we feel about that personally. Um, but to also create such an iconic look that can be just remembered for over 80 plus years, even though it's only a few minutes on screen. Uh, like, I have a pin, I have a... Uh, Bride of Frankenstein pin on my board um, <laughs> that glows in the dark. And, like, I just thought it was me, like, oh, I had to have that. Um, but, yeah, that's some of the behind-the-scenes stuff with that. Um, there was actually stilts that made her seven feet tall in the film. Um, she was only five foot four. And when she Ooh. had the bandages on, they were placed so tightly that she was unable to move and had to be carried about the studio and fed through a straw. Uh, her makeup took about three hours compared to Karloff's five. Um, and apparently he sweated 20 pounds off during this filming because of the costuming and the wow. makeup uh, that he was going through. Um, <laughs> so there's actually uh, John Mescal, who was a cinematographer. He had a drinking problem, but it was so bad. The studio had to provide a car to get him safely to and from sets, but he was still really good at his job, apparently, even when drunk, and James <laughs> Quayle liked that he worked fast and rarely wasted time fussing with incidental camera and lighting hardware. <laughs> God. Wasn't- Colin Clark was also an alcoholic, wasn't he? I think so, yes. Yeah, it had worsened since the first film. Um, but Aww. James Whale did not recast the role because his hysterical quality was necessary for the films as well. So, I guess. I, I guess. Uh, yeah, and Elsa uh, Lancaster uh, never received on-scene screen credit as the bride because it's always just listed with the question mark. Mm -hmm. Question mark, yeah. Yeah. We, we know. We know it's her. <laughs> So yeah, that's some of the, the stuff. Well, fun fact. We're just doing fun facts at this point. Her husband also worked with James Whale in the Old Dark House. Or yeah. I mean, we're gonna, we're about to get into a lot of speculations. Um, 
about marriages and so forth. Um, <laughs> so that's actually a good segue. I was just going to say, like, her beard, Charles Lautner. At the very <laughs> least, like, there, there's more confirmations on the account of him being queer oh, than yeah. her. Like, all the things I've heard about her were more, way more speculatory. But, so... But, so anyways, is this a gay movie now? You buy all your murder weapons at Home Depot? Got you much. <laughs> you picked it. <laughs> Bride of Frankenstein as a gay film. Uh, that actually appeared in the article that I was uh, mentioning for the, for the mm-hmm. real events that um, it says, to quote, although it's not likely apparent to any but the savviest of moviegoers in 1935, the Bride of Frankenstein <laughs> is amongst the most overtly gay-themed films in Hollywood's golden age. Um, the movie subtext has made a homosexual interpretation of Bride of Frankenstein's one of the chief theoretical approaches to the film. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Uh, because, like, any... There's... Oh, what were you gonna say? Oh, no. You're fine. <clears throat> but, um, Let me find the quote. From Monsters in the Closet about it best. Uh, the book by Harry Bensoff I've mentioned before. Like, this is the... Like, you kind of see it with with Henry and Fritz in the first one, but it's more so in this of, like, two scientists specifically, but um, Monsters in the Closet talks about how this was the start of the mad... the trope of the mad scientist who, with the frequent aid of a male assistant, sets to create life homosexually without the benefit of heterosexual intercourse. Mm. So it's... It's, you know, two guys getting together to make a woman without having... Two guys getting together to create life without having to have sex with a woman, without a woman being involved. Yeah. And in this case, it's two men creating a woman. <laughs> but for the for the purpose of a heterosexual pairing, but it's still very... But also, like, Pretorius acting as this, like, scheming homosexual that's like, mm, I'm tearing you away from your bride! Ah. And like, oh yes, I was... You were my student, wink, wink, all mm. this kind of subtext, and, you know... And just the the camp of Tessinger's performance and everything. Um, very fruity, very scheming, very <laughs> very coded in the way that uh, any any character in that era would be. Um, but kind of the catalyst of it all, definitely. Um, anything you'd like to add? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so the author of The Monster Show, A Cultural History of Horror, David J. Skull, um, the gay subtext Whale explores in Bride is an evolution of ideas in Mary Shelley's original novel. Uh, quote, mm. Frankenstein is a visionary novel dramatizing, among many other things, a feminist writer's anxiety over scientific man's desire to abandon womankind and find a new method of procreation that does not involve the mm-hmm. female principle. Um, and more broadly, Whale, who lived as an openly gay man in the intolerant 1930s, characterized the monster as a sympathetic and sensitive outsider. Uh, frequently clashing with angry villagers, the monster and his search for acceptance and love uh, no doubt mirrored Whale's own struggles in finding his place at, mm-hmm. in what a time of a hostile society as well. Um, yeah, like, I, there's definitely that interpretation that I, I can ap- absolutely see. I kind of got that vibe a little bit when I was watching it. I was just kind of like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, I think it is worthy of being an honorary gay film. I think oh, for totally. that. Oh, no. totally. Especially because the director was gay. Um, 
and like and, and he like he brings that all to the table because it is so, like of that era we talk about how like you if you just look at like the portrayal of queerness and horror in general especially at that time we were always the monsters but like whale understood that because he was one of us and was even he was out in this industry but i no doubt felt he still felt like an outsider i mean while you have other actors like like Tessinger, who like it, there's a lot of speculation about his sexuality too which is why i brought it up and like people from mm-hmm. james wales like london theater scene that he would bring into his movies there was always the speculation about those things that obviously we can't put labels on or facts to because it was so long ago and it's all speculation um mm-hmm. but you definitely feel it watching this like i don't know you ever just feel that when something is made by a queer person like you can feel it <laughs> like, yeah it's it, yeah he understands it i don't know uh have you seen gods and monsters by the way I have not. It's Ian McKellen as, as James Whale in, like, his last oh. phase kind of thing. And, and it's a very much, like, fictionalized biography kind of account because it's, it, like, a what-if scenario almost because it's, like, Brendan Fraser. Fla- I can talk. Brendan Fraser plays yeah. this, like, gar- gardener at his house that, like, he forms, like, a friendship with in, like, his last days or whatever. Um, Bill Condon made it. That's why, like, the connection to Bride of Frankenstein would have been interesting if he had ended up making that. But anywho. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, it, this was one of those things, I was scared to talk about this movie almost because it's like, what more is there to say? Like, this has been so dissected, especially as a queer horror film, but I felt like, it's like, well, yes, here's, here's the thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, James Wells and Icon, what more can I say? <laughs> yeah. And just... That he, he he never really did much more of being a director past Invisible Man. Um, he just kind of retreated from it. And he created, like, such iconic films. Um, and then, uh, sadly, he did pass from, from suicide because of mm-hmm. several strokes that he had uh, when he was older. Um, but just, like, he created such iconic and memorable films that... I can't imagine them being done any other way, and you guys have a gay guy to thank for that, so <laughs> you're welcome, Hollywood. Uh, we've, we've been around, we've been dominating horror from the beginning, Henny. Mm-hmm. You are absolutely correct. Um, do you have any uh, last last thoughts before we wind down for the for the night? Just that I feel like smarter people than me have talked about this movie and should look into it and you should see it and you should look at your history and your history and... <laughs> everything. Everything. If you... Know that it just... Uh, Frankenstein-wise does not get better after this until... I guess, except for Young Frankenstein. But all the universal ones just keep shitting the bed on him. Son of Frankenstein has some cool, like, um, set design. Hmm. I'll say it's worth watching, I guess. And Bella Lugosi plays Igor, and he is she's serving. Um, but it's back to the no, he doesn't get to talk. He doesn't get to have the depth that he gets in this movie um, at all, <laughs> or ever again for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And sorry that Young Frankenstein ruins some really great scenes in this for me. That's because I saw it first. 
That's okay. It's okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, what about you? Not, I'm just thinking about, like, this, I just kind of, when you mentioned the, the talking, this, like, the, just giving humanity to something, like, that's seen as monstrous, to, so you can relate more to it. Um, just kind of maybe just think, like, just how he's, it, it, I don't know if this is, was his attempt to be just, like, you know, trying to show, like, there's acceptance that can be there if you just got to know the person. Yeah. And, like, that mm -hmm. just kind of feels like, almost like him reaching out saying, like, see, just because I'm, I'm gay just doesn't mean, like, you know, kind of in its own way, I guess. Uh, I don't know if that made any sense, but, yeah, no. Uh, no, it did, yeah, yeah, And, like, he learns all of these things because someone takes the time to get to know him, like, and show him generosity and kindness and friendship. Like, he gains... He gains from that. They both do. Yeah. Oh, I get it. <laughs> Just makes me and then it's show. immediately destroyed, of course, the second he's found out again. Yeah. 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 It's, it's just such, there's so much to take from it, and I feel like everybody should watch it, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Especially- You see the DNA of so many things in it. Yeah. It's one of those, for sure. All right. Well, shall we wind down for the episode? Would you, you want me to go first, sure. or you want to go first? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we're still waiting on the gay pirate show to get removed. We're still, we're still, Where is it, HBO? Fuck. Damn it. Um, okay, so horror-wise, uh, I showed friend of the pod Sydney Death Trap and it melted her. I, I destroyed her by accident. I was like, oops! Uh, Death Trap! Um, so, oh, so I, uh, I got to see Hatching in theaters with, like, the director was there for a Q&A. Have you heard of this, Al? With Hatching? I have not. So it's this Finnish horror movie about this little girl who, like, um, kind of has a very, like, demanding mom and home life, and she finds this, uh... It was like like a a bird flies into their living room and the mom just like cracks its neck and you're like oh fuck like that's the beginning of the movie but she finds like this nest that that she thinks belonged to the bird and this egg that she then puts under her pillow and it starts to grow and grow and grow and it's one of those where like going as blind as you can I think because I did that's all I really knew about I was like a girl has a big egg under her bed I guess I don't know I'm I'm in um but it's super fucking good and has some really cool like creature design and like animatronics and i was just mm. really into it um and i did some rewatches for F friday the 13th so i watched freddy versus jason and freaky which is what you do ah. i did this isn't horror but i watched the hours for the first time finally Ooh. um which i the whole time i was like how how did gay people survive this movie when it first came out? It is literally every character actress you can think of making out with each other. Oh, my God. And, like, <laughs> it's so great. And it's fucking sad and tragic. And Ed Harris plays gay. He's, like, in his prior Walter moments. And Philip Glass does the score. And there's just so much going on. Also, HBO Max is being homophobic, as usual. Um... Because the, when I first started trying to watch it, it just, like, crapped out and was like, no, you're not going to watch The Hours right now. Sorry, Dyke. And I was like, but! And I had to finish it the next day. <laughs> it's like, goddammit, I want to watch Julianne Moore teach her son how to make a cake! <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> God. 
Anyways, um, but so I'm kind of this is horror. I actually almost like suggested that we do an episode on it as as a silly goofy mood, but I didn't know if you wanted to watch it or not because I'm counting this is the multiverse of madness. Doctor Strange: The Multiverse <laughs> of Madness is a fucking horror movie. There are like legitimate Raimi moments and like legit jump scares and scenes, and I was just like, yeah, yeah, Raimi's back, baby, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, I like. I saw it with my brother George, who we have been Sam Raimi fans literally since children. Like, I, way, we were way too young to be watching the Evil Dead movies, but somehow it just, like, imprinted on me into my DNA. We, our theater did not know who Bruce Campbell was. My brother and I were just like, yeah! And like, nothing. I was like, you fuckers, you're gonna clap over John Krasinski, but not Bruce Campbell? I don't like this audience. Oh my There's God. also a couple other cameos that made me scream that, like, I was like... I'm like this is for me and not for you. Anyways, um, <laughs> Bucky, what are you doing? My cat's on my bed. Anyways, what have you been up to? <laughs> um, so I recently, I read. I've been reading again. Amazingly, yay! Um, I have, I rented so many books from the library. I'm trying to rent more than, like, try to buy from my own work because I'm just, like, at the end of the day, half the time the books get donated anyways, so. Um, but I have been, I read, um, Thick and Other Essays by Tressie McMillan Cottom. Um, it's just kind of from, like, a black feminist, uh, point of view about different, uh, parts of her life and how she grows up and like just black women in general how they grow up in the society um and now i'm reading in the complete opposite direction death by dumpling by vivian chin <laughs> it's like a cozy murder mystery and after that i'll be reading uh, uh fosse by sam lawson it's a okay thick ass book um so i've been reading if you want cozy mystery rex talk to my mom <laughs> <laughs> Or I can tell you what she reads. Go on. Um, oh, I also read The Good House by Atena Narav Du. Um, that was also pretty oh, good. Oh, yeah. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, but I'm slower on reading than I am on watching shit, so I've been watching some stuff. Uh, so after our last episode, I watched uh, Wes Craven's The Serpent and the Rainbow, um, oh. which is also part of the second season of Cursed Films on Shudder. Um, which is it's oh. interesting, um, especially because during that time, uh, it wasn't, like, Haiti was not a place you really want to go to, um, if, like, for Americans and other people like that. Uh, it's really interesting. I, I recommend watching the, the, the short documentary they have on, uh, on Shudder. They, they say it much more eloquently than I can, uh, on there, <laughs> um. And then I did some more of my AFI watching. I watched uh, Intolerance um, by Mil Moly Milvoy, um, which was bizarre. It's 11 minutes long, uh, easy to watch. Bizarre, bizarre film, but I can definitely see something like that happening here. Um, and then I watched Everything, Everywhere, All at Once in theaters. Oh. Um, it's like it last ten minutes are just just crying basically, for me. Um, That's what I hear. <laughs> <laughs> um, and after that, I watched Taxi Driver because that was next on my list. Um, <laughs> a film from One Hit Wonder, Martin Scorsese. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, the one who Age of Innocence director. Yeah, I've heard of him. Oh, yeah, I've heard of him. Oh, man. That is, yeah, it's it's a film. Uh, Jodie Foster's so fucking young in it. Oh, my God. My girl. Uh, and then recently... I, should, I actually I do like Taxi Driver. It's just oh. one of those where, like, the perception around it is, yeah. No, yeah. Do suck is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I liked it. Uh, it's probably not one I'd really watch again, I guess, maybe. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> but it, I, I recognize its importance in the in the industry. Um, and then I watched uh, Linda Blair in Hell Night, which is like a 1980s oh. uh, B-movie Um 1981, yeah. And she kind of was in these kind of roles because I think she was trying to get away from her, the perception of her from The Exorcist. And, like, she had posed nude for, like, Playboy or something. And whatever her intention was, like, to, like, get people out of the mindset of her being still kind of, like, seen as, like, a child actor or something did not Mm -hmm. really work. And so that's why she was in, like, these kind of B-movies. And... There, the the plot of having these four college pledges forced to spend the night in a deserted old mansion where uh, a family was supposedly killed by the father before he ended up um, killing himself could have been so good, but was it? No. Uh, <laughs> and, like, if there was ever a remake to be done of this, I think, like, they could do something really well with it, but I, I think it was just a bit too long or there was just, like, some parts that, like, could have easily just been trimmed down or, like, cut. Um, she could be considered a final girl in this film, considering she- everything, but I don't know if it's... Because, like, she doesn't really seem to really do anything until, like, the very end, but... <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's that happens just... sometimes with final girls. <laughs> it does. It'd be like that. Um... But no, yeah, that's what I've been up to. Um, I am rewatching Breaking Bad with my parents because they've never seen it before. Um, oh. Have to pause that for a little bit since they're going down to Florida for a little vacation. Um, that's okay. And I caught up on Cobra Kai, so I'm ready for the fifth season. <laughs> Let's go. Um, I'm excited for it. But... Um, no, no, yeah, not much else going on here. Just truly, I'm I'm in less brain rot than I was last month. Um, oh but God, I'm not. Still, still kind of there. I'm just, I, I, if HBO is truly waiting until Pride to announce the renewal, I'm going to throw some rocks through some windows. But I really hope they're not doing that. I just, I don't know what the hell's. going on. I don't on. think that's what it is, but I also don't know what the fuck they're doing. I don't know what the fuck's going why on. Why are they renewing everything why. else but not? Like saying there, no, this is coming from a Julia HBO stand. How? What the fuck? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what? God. Oh my god, I'm scared. <laughs> there, it it feels like comical. Like who the fuck watches Minx? Like what is going on? Who, who's making these decisions? God. Like, this isn't, like, The Exorcist or something where it was, like, okay, we get it. Like, no one's watching this. Like, everyone's watching this. They're featuring it on their all of their pa- home pages. Like, in-demand comedies, in-demand series, all this shit. Fuck. <sighs> Anyways. So, yeah. But, uh, I did just, re- I rewatched all of what we do in the shadows of the show to prepare for the new season. Yee, so it starts in July. 
Mm-hmm. A reason to live. Honestly, God. <laughs> Harvey Guillen, save us. Please, Harvey. Ah. Last that. Well, we have to find something really gay next month for Pride. Hell yeah. <laughs> I mean, how do you out-gay the Covenant like last year? God. <laughs> Episode 69 on that as well, too. Are you kidding me? That was episode 69, too. Oh, that was like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> God. Anyways, yeah. that's that. All right. Thanks for letting us ramble to you guys about Briar Frankenstein. It was very yeah. enjoyable. <laughs> Go check it out. And then watch Gods and Monsters. Yes. Make a day of it. Absolutely. Well, you can find me at Dyke Madden on Twitter. You can find me at LM Designs on Twitter and our podcast at Stop Horror Time Pod on Facebook and Horror Time Pod on Twitter. And if you like what we do and you want to just give us a nice rating, more for the algorithm, so that way we show up on people's dashes and whatnot and maybe give them something new to listen to. And we're also great for people who want to know more about horror movies but just can't watch them. Uh, so until next time, thanks for listening, and we will see you guys next month for Pride! Bye! Bye!